Welcome to the latest episode of the X-Files Retrospective Podcast, released through Bureau 42. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. This week we're looking at Dwayne Berry. This originally aired on October 14th, 1994, and has an average IMDb user score of 8.8 out of 10, which actually puts it in a five-way tie for the highest rated episode of the season. So we've got a pretty strong season ahead of us here. Most of the action in this episode takes place in Virginia. The teaser does not include Mulder or Scully at all. Once again, it's more to set up the case that we're dealing with. And we see a fairly run-down house, so the person who lives here appears to be in a rougher financial position than they used to be in. It's a fairly nice house, but the interior doesn't live up to the exterior, so it has fallen into some kind of disuse or inability to be maintained. And we pan through this house, we see the owner and his dog, the owner's asleep on the bed, it's the middle of the night, and he's woken up by everything that appears to be an alien abduction, and this is our best view of the aliens yet. These are the classic teardrop heads, solid black eyes, long skinny fingers, everything from the standard cultural mythology of alien abductions. And not only is he getting abducted, but he's yelling out, oh no, not again, and cut from here to the opening credits. When we come back to the opening credits, Mulder and Scully are still not involved yet. What we have is Dwayne Berry in a mental institution who keeps saying he's not like these other guys, he's not crazy, and he ends up kidnapping his psychiatrist and very efficiently disarming a guard in order to get him out of here. One of the major motivations of this episode was basically covering Gillian Anderson's maternity leave. So this episode was not only written by Chris Carter, this was the first X-Files episode directed by Chris Carter. His only directorial credit up to this point was an episode of Rags to Riches that he had done a while ago, although in a lot of his statements in the public press, he's treating this as his directorial debut. So apparently, from an artistic standpoint, he found his experience on Rags to Riches somewhat unsatisfying creatively, and he doesn't feel that. For whatever reason, when he's relaying things, that doesn't count. So clearly there's more to this in his mind than that. So a lot of the way that they were doing this to set up Scully's maternity leave is by setting up Dwayne Barry. This is the first part in a two-part episode. And Dwayne Barry, he does eventually come into a full-on hostage situation. He's trying to bring his psychiatrist back to the place where it all began and back to the place where he was first abducted. He just doesn't remember where that is, so he ends up at a travel agency with the guy. Now, one of the things that you'll notice on a lot of episodes, they give you dates and times that things are going on. The on-screen date for this episode is August 7th, 1994. So this episode took place a couple of months before the episode aired. It was actually during the hiatus, and part of that is setting up the storyline for Gillian Anderson's maternity leave. Once this hostage situation has gotten started, that's when you get the introduction of Mulder and Scully into the episode, starting with Mulder, actually starting with Krychek. Krychek comes to the pool and gets Mulder out because Mulder's been drawn for the hostage negotiations, even though that's not really his thing. Now, the heterosexual women and homosexual men in the audience may like to know that this is the episode with the infamous Speedo scene. So not only is Mulder swimming in the pool, he's doing it in a Speedo. It, let's just say it obscures very little. Any questions you have are pretty much going to be answered in this episode. Anyway, Mulder's drawn this detail because of his experience with alien abductions. And because Dwayne Barry has been institutionalized and treated because he feels he is a multiple abductee. There's a lot of high tension in this episode. A lot of it takes place at night. We've got CCH Pounder as a guest star heading up the FBI task force who neglects to tell Mulder that Dwayne Barry is former FBI and that he was part of the Bureau until 1982. 
when, well, she doesn't even really get into why he was hospitalized, just that that was the point where he was hospitalized. We don't find out a lot of the details until Scully takes part later. We also get a very nice scene, because at this point the audience knows that Krychek is dirty. Mulder doesn't, and Mulder and Scully still trust Krychek to some degree, even though he is green. So when Mulder's prepping for his hostage negotiation, Krychek goes to see C.H. Pounder's character and asks if there's anything you can do to help. She says, yes, have you got your notepad? And he pulls it out, he's about to start taking notes, and she gives him a coffee order, which is just a great little moment. It plays off as very sympathetic of you to see him as the green rookie, but given the last few moments of the previous episode, you know, it's a nice little jab at Krychek's expense. We're going to see a lot of those coming up. Now, Dwayne Berry himself is played by Stephen Railsback, and this is one of the few cases where Chris Carter wrote a particular character with a particular performer in mind. So Railsback has had a pretty significant career up to this point. Bureau 42 readers might know him from Life Force, which is one of the movies that shows up in our greatest science fiction film tournament, which is actually in week 29 as we are recording this, and a little bit over by about a year by the time you're hearing this. Scully does come in at Mulder's request, because when Mulder asks for history of his abductions and his abduction stories and what's going on there, nobody has it. So he asks Scully to dig up what she can so he has the information he feels he needs. When she does that, then she realizes there's a lot more to Dwayne Barry than what he's thinking of. It's a play on the on the story of the farmer named Gage, who had a rod shoved through his head that changed his behavior. Dwayne Barry has the same brain damage as a result of a gunshot wound which, according to the diagram on Scully's computer screen, was uh, through and through coming up through the chin and out the top of his skull. There's clearly no scar tissue on Dwayne Barry's chin, it's just on his forehead. So that seems to be a case where the visual effects guys working on the computer image and the makeup guys didn't quite line up properly. In any event, Mulder eventually trades himself for a wounded hostage because he sees Dwayne Barry as a way to get proof of the alien abductions that he believes and a way to get closer to Samantha. He does gain Dwayne Barry's trust, although when Scully starts feeding him that information, he starts to lose trust in Dwayne Barry, which he had in absolute form up to this point. And it's even at the point where, when they're working, he's guiding Dwayne Barry away from the lines of fire that the FBI are waiting for to put him down, until he realizes that he is in danger, at which point he guides Dwayne Barry towards the lines of fire to get himself on the others out. They do eventually put Dwayne Barry down, partly because Mulder directed him to go lock the door behind some of the hostages that had left. When Dwayne Barry ends up in the hospital, they find signs of everything that he said that he had. He said that they had trackers in his sinuses, in his gums, and in his abdomen, and they found metal in all three of those places. He said quite famously they had drilled holes in his damn teeth, and they found holes that could not be explained with current dental equipment. So everything was adding up to Dwayne Barry telling the truth. When they even look at the piece of metal that they extracted from his abdomen, on the 10 micron scale, they find something that looks like a barcode. And that comes out when Scully's doing grocery shopping. Now, this is another case of almost serendipity. So they need to keep the cost down, and a grocery store would be a very expensive set to build. So that's a much better one to use with a location shoot. But if you're doing a location shoot in a business, you basically have to pay them for the revenue they expect to lose during those operational times. So what do they do? They book the grocery stores after hours. So not only do we get late-night grocery shopping, with Scully to show how much of a workaholic she is, how late she's getting home, but we also see that this is a way that they're saving costs. They're clearly doing this after this grocery store has closed, or late enough in the night that they're not expecting any real business. Now, this is one of the parts of the episode that doesn't quite work for me. Scully ends up taking that metal that had the barcode on the 10 micron scale, running it over the barcode scanner, and it sets it off. So the machine reacts, something comes up on screen, it starts freaking out. To me, that doesn't 
quite work out. I mean, that would be like taking a QR code scan that we have today, those square codes, and running it through a linear barcode scanner. It's just not going to register, especially when you're dealing with a barcode on the 10 micron scale. Those barcodes that computers read are built almost like Morse code. They've got three or four variable width in the lines, and it's those widths that they're reading. So if you have something on the 10 micron scale, it's not going to register because it's just too small. That is way beyond the resolution of the machine. So that part has bugged me since the first time I saw this. And even in all of these scenes with Scully, they're still hiding her pregnancy. So she's still shot from the shoulders up. She's still behind furniture. They're doing a lot of those tricks to hide where she is and how pregnant she is. The closest we get to a full body view is actually shot from the rear. So it may have been a body double, it may not. Either way, she's in a very large and baggy trench coat. So they could have hidden it either way. And this is the episode where the long-term story arc finally starts to get personal. It does end in the cliffhanger, and that cliffhanger is Dwayne Barry outside Scully's apartment, looking in through the window when Scully's on the phone to Mulder. The final shot is we hear a violent abduction through Mulder's answering machine, which again allows them to save a little bit of money in an expensive episode, in an expensive season. We don't have to see the abduction. We don't have to see the windows breaking. We don't have to see them destroying props that would need to be replaced or repaired. We just hear sound effects that match up with that over a close-up of the answering machine. So that's where we are here. Now, two weeks from now, we're going to come back and discuss the second part of this episode in the episode titled Ascension. Please join us then. Intro and outro music is by Lastwell, created under the Creative Commons license. All other content, copyright 2014, Bureau 42. Please feel free to send any comments and feedback to bureau42podcasts at gmail.com or leave us a review on iTunes.